Coming up in episode 30, a very special holiday question. What are your most cherished gaming moments? So uh, I figured I'd do a comfort uh, podcast in my pajamas, which is one of the many reasons that Sage does not have any kind of video. Uh, <laughs> yeah, today, we're, we're trying a new best. recording setup this time. Uh, hopefully it'll mean that we have higher quality audio and uh, a bit more flexibility in our recording times. Uh, yeah, higher quality audio, easier to do episodes, fewer cars on the podcast. It's all all good. Yeah, we were talking just before the episode started that uh, for us recording it, we were recording it in this kind of garage studio thing. And so you, for, we would hear cars honking. And I know they're in the recording because I've heard them. But I was talking to one of our listeners and he's like, what, what cars? Uh, because he listens while driving. So like a little honking in the background is just like, eh. Yeah, we highly recommend it to everybody so that we don't have to worry about it as much. Yeah, yeah. Anything that covers up our audio quality is is just wonderful. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah, I was just thinking uh, holiday season and lots of kind of family game time and friend game time and and various comfortable things. Well, and we've got like the, the holiday season thing going. I just realized I should have gone uh, like... Christmas past, Christmas present, Christmas future. Uh, that would have oh, been a man. great breakdown. Could have put some spooky music in there. Uh-huh. It'd be awesome. Oh man. Uh, well, what do you what now. do you have for number one? Okay. Uh, so my one number one is a game that I've mentioned a couple times before. Uh, it's this uh, Call of Cthulhu mostly D twenty game that uh, my friend Ben ran, um, and really it was multiple games. Uh, he he had a Saturday night game night uh, that would have kind of a rotating cast of people. And, you know, the the same people would generally p- play for kind of one game. Um, and across years of this Saturday night game, there were lots of different Cthulhu games that overlapped in various ways. Um, nice. And over time, like, it mostly seemed just kind of like, oh, you know, Ben's running the same game, so he's going to set it in the same universe, or the same people are playing, so they, you know, say, oh, could this character be related to my other character or whatever? Um, but the thing that it built up to uh, was this last kind of mini-campaign set in the future uh, where he was running basically a post-apocalyptic Cthulhu game. Like Cthulhu has actually risen and uh, it was a whole bunch of people trying to like scrounge and survive and everything. And they eventually figure out that the things that led to um, Cthulhu rising were the, the faults of humans and through, you know, whatever Eldritch madness stuff, they were able to uh, open up portals to kill these people. At which point we realized that they're all our characters from past games. <laughs> um, so the the time scale here is, geez, on probably like the order of four or more years. I started playing with Ben just as I was leaving high school and going to college. And it was somewhere around the end of my time in college that uh, this game happened, if I have the time scale right. Um, mm-hmm. And because I was off to college for a lot of this and Ben lives in my hometown, um, I hadn't been in all, all of these games. I've been in couple of them basically um and sure. they've been all over kind of genre wise there was kind of the typical pulp cthulhu there was a cthulhu vietnam game that was kind of weird um and so like the the moment that where 
uh, the, the portals were suspended off of this building. So you had to like jump off the building and fall through the air and aim. We, we got rocket launchers, of course, aim your rocket launcher through the portal to take out the, you know, you know, the portal is going to open up and show you the person on the other side who, uh, had led to Cthulhu rising. And so my first character in this game, uh, because it'd been my first Cthulhu game was basically me trying to mess around with, uh, the genre. He was a photographer. because so I'm like, okay, I'm going to have proof. Come on guys. And it seems so straightforward at the time and of course uh all my pictures looked like you know toy animals posed in a sandbox or whatever um oh yeah yeah, it it was fantastic uh but that time scale and that conclusion building all the on all these other things um has always really stuck with me um and this is the one that i've mentioned before on the podcast in part because uh after on the way home uh i happened to turn on a radio head song that was suitably like creepy and weird and final um that it Mm -hmm. just like wrapped everything up perfectly it was amazing um so that for me is a very cherished memory yeah i think a lot of these are going to be stuff that we've talked about on the podcast before because they're just so huge oh yeah as as parts of both kind of your life and your and your rpg background and all this kind of stuff how long do you think how long do you think ben figured on that kind of climactic ending so that's because that's that's not a kind of thing that you could start doing like at the original you think of it two or three years in maybe yeah i'm I'm guessing that this isn't quite as uh planned as it all felt like um and kind of like i mentioned in retelling it i'm pretty sure that this all kind of started as more of a um just kind of a natural outflowing of playing with the same GM and some of the same people. Oh yeah. Um, and then it just kind of built and built and built. And I'm not sure if until that last game, it, he all, he knew it was all going to come together that way. Um, because some of the themes had just kind of come from, you know, Oh, let's play a Vietnam game. Uh, it's in the past. So let's say that it's related to our current characters. Sure. And like, uh, lizard people were a big thing across these games and stuff. So it, it kind of started out feeling like, uh, just this kind of, happenstance but it it all tied together um i don't know like the the, knowing that it was retroactive doesn't diminish it that much for me oh no no it totally shouldn't like you know you know how to how to gm a lot of gming is retroactively finding patterns because that's what we do right as as people in general we retroactively find patterns i was watching the some penny arcade people play weave uh, and a lot of the early part of this kind of app-based card role-playing game thing is here's a bunch of cards and a bunch of story pieces. You make the interesting stuff up. Mm-hmm. I gave you really awesome story pieces that you'll be able to snip together, but the really awesome stuff comes from you saying this part and this part and this part means this is what this person is. Yeah. And you know, just going retroactive with what story means you know, totally doesn't diminish the magic. I think it's, I think that somebody had to think about tying it together. And that is the part that's so magical, right? Mm-hmm. Is that he said, oh man, we can tile this together. I can bring Cthulhu out. I can do these big reveals. I can, I can make all of this stuff happen. And that part is the super magical part. Like having a GM that had planned it for four years uh, would be, maybe about equally as magical, but I think that coming up with it and being able to keep a game going that long kind of is, is just gigantic. Well, and it would be, it would be slightly more magical if it worked, 
like four years of everything <laughs> would be would be kind of amazing. But yeah, totally. I think the odds of it not working go way up. And right. you know, if he would have been uh, so, actually, this was uh, you know right after high school for me when I started naming in high school. I would plan these, you know, epic, uh, like campaigns of campaigns kind of things. Like right. we're going to play 50 sessions and it's going to be amazing. Yeah. But it would go beyond that to like, we're going to play 50 sessions with these characters and we're going to play another 50 sessions over in this part of the world <laughs> to do this part. And it ties together in this way. And then this right. ties those all together and I'd have all these grand plans and they wouldn't come together. And each of those games was, I mean, they were fun. Like the, those were formative games for me, but like the, the sure. fact that I was trying to, do this massive overplot did not add anything there. And if anything, it hampered it somewhat because like it was way too easy to kind of move on to the next thing. Like, Oh, okay. Well, uh, that didn't go the way I wanted. Yeah. I, and I have this other game that I want to do. Like, well, let's do that. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, like the, the element there of kind of retroactive continuity doesn't bother me all that much. And maybe, uh, actually using the term retroactive, continuity reminds me of comic books which may be part of it as well i mean i'm yeah, totally sure. fine with comic books where they years later come back and revise some event and say actually the importance of that was uh which doesn't really bother me either it's kind of a fun metatextual thing to do um and, and i think this will probably be a theme across all these maybe the most important element beyond the the game itself um more important than the game itself is that I was playing with some of my best friends. Like the, uh, yeah. I mean, geez, three of the people in that game were, were groomsmen at my wedding. One of them was the best man. <laughs> like that, they, they are some of my closest friends and, mm -hmm. uh, it, the game was a great moment with them. But, uh, that same, if I would have played for that long on and off with uh, a random group of folks that I didn't like that much, it would not be as special. No, no, no. It, it, it wouldn't have been as fun and you, you wouldn't remember it as well. Yeah. Right. A lot of it. A lot of it has got to be the people. Yeah, uh, of course. And I mean, that's that's something that always gets tripped up when we talk about uh, system mattering in games is people are like, right. well, but my friends mattered more, which, yeah, is true. I'm, I'm not going to argue that, like, the people sitting around the table aren't one of the main reasons to play the game. Like, and the snacks right. matter, too. And where you sat, like all these things matter. The point is just like that the the game mattered as well. Uh, I mean, the the D twenty Cthulhu rules actually delivered some interesting moments to how that game went, and I think the flexibility of D twenty is part of why this game could be so kind of genre hopping. Um, with something like Cthulhu Dark, uh, we would have a much more kind of consistent tone and genre. Um, which actually isn't what that game needed. Like it, it might've not been all that on brand for uh, Lovecraft himself, but it, it covered all these kind of sub genres that people have made up since of basically sticking Cthulhu on whatever. Um, and it worked really well that way. Yeah. And it gives you tonal breaks. Like it's hard to play the same game for that long just because you're hitting the same tone all the time. Right. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's just gigantic. And the the D twenty Cthulhu stuff that I generally don't like about how it uh, like advancement. It, the advancement seems too advancing to me. Like Cthulhu is not generally a thing where the heroes get a lot better and save the day. Right. Um, but in that game, it actually kind of worked, uh, partially because becoming a lot better turned some of the characters into basically NPCs for later games. Uh, you know, the guy who actually can beat this stuff is now somebody you need to go and find, kind of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it, it was uh, that game was a huge cherished memory for me, um, and I I actually think that I, I'm a little up in the air on what my uh, which exact ones I'm going to go with, but I actually think the same people maybe repeating across all these. Um, so, think- so what's your first? Well, well, first, first, I want to talk kind of a little bit more about retroactive continuity. Sure. I think it's a really, it's a really interesting thought. Like, just the idea that it would deplete the magic at all, right? Look at look at fan theories mm-hmm. about stuff now. Like the uh, the Sith, the Jar Jar, the Sith yep. Jar Jar. Jar Jar. That makes that makes the prequels just way more watchable to me. Uh-huh. I know, I know that it is not actually you know canon or whatever. But it's just so awesome, right? Oh, yeah. And I don't really care if it was written in. It doesn't have to be written in. It's still awesome. Uh, and I think I think there's a lot of kind of pattern finding we can do uh, that just makes it much much more interesting of a story. And there's a lot of stories that aren't very interesting on the surface until you start connecting all these dots that might not necessarily be connected, but because we are people and we can do that, mm-hmm. you can get it out of you know, a very simple game of heat signature. And it's like, oh yeah, this person's name matches that person's name. And the game will tell me that they're his daughter or something. And now there's this huge story and the game didn't have to give me much because yeah. I will connect them. Right. But yeah. So speaking of people, um, uh, my, my first two are, are family type stuff because playing games with family is awesome. Yeah. Uh, at least, at least my family, I really like my family. My family's pretty sweet. Uh, one of the first few times I played D and D, uh, I ran it for my mom, like right after I got <laughs> some, I got some minis and I got some of the, that D and D three, five, uh, the map tile stuff that they came out with. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, let's just run a dungeon. And there's a, I'll just run the intro dungeon. It's got this little black dragon and a bunch of kobolds guarding it. And I'm like, okay, this will be great. So I got my mom and my brother and I probably my cousin Isaac or something was there. And they go in, and there's a kobold, and I'm like, okay, here's what it looks like. And I put the little mini on the map. And my mom goes, okay, I'm going to talk to it. And I'm like, oh, uh, okay? Like, I, ha- I had no idea what to do with this, right? Mm-hmm. I'm playing d and 3.5. I've been playing video games. I'm like, no, you're not supposed to talk to the kobolds. <laughs> That's not how they work. Like I don't even I don't even know what their stats are for talking. I have no idea how to even role play it. I'm like, do they even speak common? Like what the heck is going on here? My mom's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm gonna talk to it. I'm like, huh, that's 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 a that's a thing. You can do that. So that <laughs> just just that moment has really informed a ton of my gameplay. Uh-huh. From then we played we played Blades in the Dark last night, our our weekly Wednesday game. And uh, I told the crew they were they were looking for various things to do, and they're like, "How can how can we make the the blue coats kind of less hateful of us? Because they're like one step away from war." And I'm like, "Well, the blue coats want you to deal with this problem for them. Just get this person out of the way, at least for a month or so." And I'm like, "Okay, so they'll either knock the person out, or they'll kidnap him, or they'll send him out, or you know, out of the wall, or, or whatever." And they're like, "What if we recruit that guy?" And I'm like, I'm like, you guys are insane. So they end up recruiting him and sending him like just this very friendly, happy. Everybody was alive at the end and they had higher faction with everybody involved afterward because it just 
everything worked out. It was amazing. And it's like the people that I play games with are so nice and so cool and so people-ish mm-hmm. that you end up getting these great, happy solutions to problems that just makes you feel better about the world in general and where it's going, right? Well, and when your first uh, gaming interaction is this uh, like moment of improvisation and creativity and thinking on your feet, like that's that's huge compared to if your first D&D moment would have been, okay, I take a standard action and attack it or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, which is actually kind of funny because my first D&D moment was me running uh, 3-0 for my brother uh, mm-hmm. when only the player's handbook was out because they released those staggered for whatever reason. Um, and also Kobolds. Uh, because there yeah, were, you got you to gotta do Kobolds. Well, That's there's like only all so many have. monsters at the back of the uh, player's handbook. <laughs> like they, they right. had to include a few monster rules there, so you had something to do. do. Mm-hmm. Uh and, uh, you know, I saw there was a grid and everything, so I was like, okay, the first room will have uh, as many kobolds as can stand in five-foot <laughs> squares. Uh, so it was literally a room, like, chock-a-block full of kobolds. Um, though I guess, uh, you know, fighting area five feet, but whatever. Um, Two kobolds a square or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So my brother walks in, and uh, I actually think we didn't get that far because I quickly realized how boring that was. <laughs> Because, uh, I mean... You're doing the same thing every turn. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to hit the kobold, obviously. Yeah, and, like, for the kobolds, there wasn't even a, like, oh, they, they run and hide behind this thing because I made literally an empty room with only kobolds in it. <laughs> and by the rules, uh, like, they're, because this was only the player's handbook, I think there were rules for squeezing or something, but they were ridiculous. So, basically, there was nowhere for them to go because they couldn't move, uh, end their move in an open square. So, there was <laughs> a whole bunch of kobolds standing there asking to be killed, basically. And you're still all thinking in terms of this kind of very stringent, especially 3-0 at the time, like, here are the rules. Like, you're not thinking, oh, yeah, the kobolds get on top of each other and look like a guy in a suit type of thing. Yep. You you basically only have, well, my chessboard is full of pieces. Uh, yeah, it was very yeah. chessboardy. It was the, like, okay, these are the things that fit in these squares. Fight. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and interesting that I, I think you had a much better first D&D experience with your first kobold, uh, but we're, we're still both here. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm generally okay with this. I think, I think I've been, I want to get my mom playing a lot more of the games that I play now mm-hmm. where you do get to talk to things a lot more. Like I, the inverse of that experience was the first time I played Apocalypse World, which was at a con and I was... Uh, kind of trolling the guy. I was I was sitting to the side, and he's like, "Okay, this opening situation. You know, this other person's walking up, and uh, hey, player player B, what what are you doing?" I'm like, "Well, I'm going to talk to them about why we can't get our gas." So they're talking to each other over this over this wall, and I just say, "Well, I'm going to shoot that other guy that's blocking the gas." And the DM, to their credit, said, "Okay, go ahead and roll." And so it's like start off that the cobalt game with wait you can you can talk to people and start off this game with i don't have to listen to the monologue <laughs> awesome it's it's just so weird kind of the assumptions that people bring to stuff my mom's a my mom's a teacher mm-hmm. and uh 
so a lot of her day and her work is trying to figure out how pro- how how to bring people to an understanding primarily verbally and through demonstration and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so obviously the way that she's going to approach a problem is, well, let's see if we can get this person on my side or get them out of the way or, or figure out stuff out. So it's, it was, it was just a really interesting way to go. And then I think my brother was super trolly during that whole game as well. Cause he's always wants to play bards. So I think that a lot of that has pushed me to my very strange improv style of, of role playing because I'm like, well, I, I have no idea what you're going to do. So let's, let's throw, throw stuff on the wall and see what sticks to you. I don't think your uh, style is as strange as you think it is, but uh, that is, that is an awesome cherished memory. I like it a lot. It's beautiful. You want to, you want to go number two? Uh, sure. Uh, so thinking of the holidays, um, got me thinking about, uh, something that we, we kind of only really did once, but, um, attempted a couple more times. Uh, so with these good friends back home, uh, when I was in college, I'd be back for the holidays and we'd have, uh, most of them either were also students or worked at the university. Uh, and so would have a lot of free time between like, Christmas and New Year's. Um, and so we would basically game as much as possible for about a week straight. Um, and one year it was the same D and D game for at least three or four of those days straight. Uh, so like really marathon, like, uh, we would get over there around lunchtime, start eating and playing, take a dinner break and come right back in the evening and play until midnight. So like, 12-ish hours total, um, which I know you do some marathon sessions. For me, this is really unusual. And, like, it was moving fast enough that, like, we we hit some of those uh, – th- this was third edition or 3.5. We started mm-hmm. to hit some of those fun things that it does with prestige classes and stuff and, like, getting to yeah, shop totally. through your huge books for, for abilities. Um, but instead of, uh, like, the, the normal cycle of – okay, the game's over, shop for your abilities for next week kind of thing. Uh, instead, this was like, okay, I'm going to run and get a Soto, like find your ability, level up, and we're, we're going to keep on going. Um, that is the best thing about marathon sessions yeah, right there. It just keeps moving. And uh, and this was, again, with, with really close friends. Uh, and we that really that that group helps the out of game chatter so much we were really upfront about like what we're enjoying what we're not um yeah it was it was just great uh and it's tough to talk about the high points of the game because the game um in a lot of ways was a little mediocre uh, i mean there, there were sure. some fun moments but uh it was it was Pretty much a typical uh, 3.5 game as I know of. Um, a 12-hour D&D game is almost certainly not going to be a good D&D game, but it will be a great hanging out with people for 12 hours. Exactly. It was um, – so, like, uh, when I hang out with people, I found that I tend to, like, kind of having something to do. If I'm just, you know, mm-hmm. oh, we're just going to hang out – I'm a little at loose ends, but if uh, we're getting started with a game or if we're meeting for food or, or whatever. Um, and so in some ways, this was like this massive shifting topic that we could just keep on talking about. Um, yeah. And it was it was a good time for me. This was, uh, like I said, in college, which was kind of like this, the time that I was finding out about more games, um, usually from this group. And that led to where I am now. But like that... Uh, that cycle really 
that was kind of one of those things that yeah. fed into that because we would talk about the game a lot. We'd, we'd discuss the, the rules and we just were kind of getting this broader understanding of other games that made that, um, that discussion that much richer. Um, so yeah, it's, it's tough to talk about the real high points of the game itself, but just that, uh, gaming environment, um, the, the times where you really get to focus on the game and, uh, you know, this was pre, pre smartphone. Uh, this was pre me having a job or kids or any of that stuff. Um, and it's, it's kind of nice to think back to that. Like I, I had a cell phone if somebody really needed to get a hold of me, but nobody did. Um, yeah. It's not like it had a screen or anything. Yeah. So it really just was this kind of this solid block of time. Like, uh, that, that feeling of focus, um, is something that I have a hard time sometimes bringing to even a much shorter game these days. Uh, yeah, totally. So yeah, oh, cherished memory that um, I can't really pull any interesting lessons out of, but I've got to talk about because uh, I just I love that that setup and uh, that kind of nostalgia. Oh no, I can I can pull some. So let's I've got a bonus marathon then because I didn't put my marathon games on here because they are cherished times, but I never think about them as cherished game uh, times. Okay, that's a good like, distinction. It's it's a weird it's a weird thing. Uh, so I got married right out of college. I didn't actually ever finish college for people that are unaware. Uh, so I don't have any kind of degree whatsoever, just basically high school. And so I go down to Portland with my wife, who's an electrical engineer, and I know nobody, and I have no job, and I have no degree. And I'm like, this is the best. Uh, so while all of this stuff is going on, we end up meeting some friends, uh, somebody that she knew in the dorm who had just gotten married. And I'm like, oh, okay, random dude, uh, somebody I don't know. Well, let's go out to dinner, yeah. And uh, he's like, so so do you play any games? And I'm like, oh, you know, I play some StarCraft or whatever. He's like, you ever played Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> I'm like, what? So we end up talking way longer than the girls do. And then I go over there for 72 hours and play Dungeons and Dragons. Mm -hmm. And it's like from nowhere to marathon game in the span of maybe a month. Nice. Uh, because, you know, what do you do? Right. And so I, I think the game itself, I can tell you, I think I was a ranger that they auto-leveled to 13 to match the party at the time, which is a hell of a way to start a Dungeons & Dragons oh, campaign. Oh, yeah, jeez. <laughs> but it's, you know, and they had this big thing about fighting a dragon, and I, I really can't tell you much of what happened mm -hmm. during those games. I can tell you of the people, I can tell you that Sarah, his wife, really liked being the healer and loves being just generally helpful in this party of... Remind, remember eight people oh, so the man. dm and like eight nine people depending on who was around mm -hmm. and people would come up from uh hours south in roseburg to portland to show up at this game and so i mean we had to spend 72 hours playing because otherwise it wouldn't even be worth it yeah. to play play this kind of stuff so a lot of it was just about hey we're gonna hang out for 72 hours and we're gonna play dnd and so after a while <laughs> Like more recent times that we've done something like that, we played Artemis for like six hours mm -hmm. and we played a full game of Civilization. Oh, nice. Uh, be, you know, just land party Civilization with like six to eight people in the room, mm -hmm. right? 
which is a beautiful way to play civilization. Oh yeah. Just, just here we're going to hang out for a long time. What do we do for a long time? And Oh man, that's, I think that that, if you're going to take any kind of lesson out of it, it's your game is not going to survive that long, but it doesn't have to survive that long. Cause that's not the point. Like by, by hour eight or nine, nobody's, you know, people will dip into the game and then dip back out, but you can't just hardline it for, for more than four hours. Like that's, that's madness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have to add a slight bonus story because you're, you know, meeting up with, uh, a, somebody from the dorms, uh, from your wife's dorms and realizing like, Oh, Hey, play Dungeons and Dragons. Um, mm-hmm. I had, that's actually basically something like that is, uh, how I met John Harper. Uh, so <laughs> I, nice. I moved out to the Seattle area, uh, and my aunt had gone to school out here. So she would always come back and visit her friends. So, uh, you know, maybe half a year, no less than, yeah, maybe half a year. Um, after I moved out here, she was out visiting and she's like, Oh, you know, um, one of my college friends is throwing a party. Why don't you come? It's like, okay, whatever. Um, and so I go over there and, uh, my aunt is like, Oh, uh, my friend's boyfriend is a gamer. You should see if you guys have anything in common. And like, I was already enough into <laughs> indie games. So I was kind of like, Oh sure. This is what be kind like, of, a, what kind of a gamer is this person going to be? Exactly. You know, exactly. I'm like, okay, maybe he, you know, play some world of Warcraft or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then there was this long conversation of kind of like feeling each other out on like, okay, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Games. Okay. So like, have you played Dungeons and Dragons? Like, oh yeah, yeah. Ha- have you heard of Burning Wheel? Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, and then we, we came together and, and now we, you know, have both, uh, John had already published games, but, um, a big part of why I got into making games and, uh, yeah, all just random happenstance that, uh, and he, uh, he happened to have recently met, uh, my good friends, Paul, my now good friends, Paul and Shannon. Um, mm-hmm. and so he was like, Oh, I've got these three new people I haven't gamed with before. Uh, maybe they want to play games sometime. Yeah. And it didn't even start out as like a, Oh, we're totally going to play a long-term game. Uh, we did a one shot of troll babe and then we, went to like a, a game night that a few other people were at and kind of split off our own uh, Warhammer 2E, uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 2E game and played one session. We're like, ah, this seems good enough. Maybe we should start playing like every week. And then, yeah, that, that became our first major campaign. There were many more after that. But yeah, anyway, funny, funny how you, uh, through acquaintances of acquaintances, occasionally find, find that person. Um, Oh yeah. Remind me, remind me to tell you how I met Ken, which will come up later, later <laughs> in this episode, uh, because it follows a similar pattern for uh, people are crazy. World is crazy. Well, and that's actually funny. You know, you and I, uh, had some contact before working at the same place. Uh, <laughs> that's right. I, I remember posting to, to Google plus, I, I had come back for like a follow-up interview basically. And I, checked in at the work location and you saw it and were like, Oh, are you here? Like giving an author talk? And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm hoping to get a job. Um, <laughs> I was like, what, what do you even do? Like you're <laughs> supposed to be a, you're supposed to be an RPG author. You're not supposed to be like a person who actually has a job and stuff. Yep. I had, it blew my mind. Apparently man. we both have jobs. Uh, uh, but yeah, no, that's these happenstances are some of the, uh, our, our cherished game related memories, uh, or, or at least, cherished in the sense that there's such um 
unlikely occurrences that they seem mm-hmm. like really valuable. Um, okay. So, yeah. So, uh, so I'm playing all these new games, checking all this stuff out and pretty much the only people I have to play with them with at the time, this is, this is like either in the middle of college or pre-college. And I met Adam Ross, uh, for D and D post-college. So I had like nobody to play with. Uh, and so I'd come home and my dad, uh, my bet, my dad passed away like, like, uh, five years ago. So, uh, we will, we will see if I can, how, how far I can make it through this. But, uh, my dad would go through the D and D three, five books that I had left at home and highlight them and put in like sticky notes and stuff. Cause he really wanted to figure out how to play the thing. Oh. Uh, and my, my dad, my dad had a brain tumor when I was young. So like he wasn't, he wasn't as, as quick on the draw as, as he really wanted to be. So I'd come home and I'd be like, okay, let's play a game and I'll play, I'll lead in as simple as I can. So we can just walk through kind of all this kind of stuff. And, uh, this one weekend, my cousin was over my cousin, Isaac. Uh, and I was like, okay, you guys are both reading this Horatio Hornblower kind of Napoleon, uh, Napoleonic, uh, naval warfare kind of cool fiction book, adventure book. What would you want to play a game? That's kind of like that. And they're like, Oh, that'd be cool. Can you, can you do that? And I'm like, sure. I mean, why not? So I hack up mouse guard to play Horatio Hornblower on the fly for my dad and my cousin. And I'm like, what kinds of things does he do in the books? And they're like, well, you know, he sails a ship and I'm like, cool, that's a skill. And they're like, well, you know, he, he uh, searches for stuff and he's, he knows things about people. And I'm like, okay, let's write all this stuff down. And how good are you at this? Just give me a number between one and four or something. Okay, you know, cool, let's go. What, what's going on? And then we just run this whole session like right out of the novels that they had been reading that I didn't know very much about. So I'm just kind of following their lead. I knew that Mouse Guard would work because uh, it's kind of this military... Uh, ranking thing. Mm-hmm. And so this huge discussion at the beginning over, well, do I outrank you or do you outrank me? Just this huge piece that when I've played mouse guard before, people just completely gloss over. Mm-hmm. Like they're like, sure, whatever. You're the new person. I'm the old person. No big deal. And they're like, well, if I was the person that had been here long enough, I'm not sure if I would have kept you on as you know, <laughs> this, this huge thing over, you know, and it existed for, it existed for a couple of hours and all of the papers are gone and it was moment, just that moment. And now it's all gone, uh, which makes me really like thinking about it, but I, I'm never going to make that hack again. It'd be impossible to make that hack again. I'd need, I'd need those people. So. Wow. Uh, I, I think you win. I think you've just given me <laughs> one of my most cherished gaming memories and I wasn't even there. That, uh, that is, I'm, I'm going chronological, chronological order. So that that is just incredible. Uh, I'm I'm kind of at a loss for words. Like I'm I'm supposed to be doing my my co-host thing here, <laughs> some questions, but that is that story is perfect. Um, it's it's a a lot of the stuff that happens in my games that I remember being amazing. I didn't really do very much, right? A lot of it was I was there and I said, "What do you want to do?" And everybody around me f- has such awesome ideas that all I have to do is do that minimal kind of retroactive continuity thing to connect them together mm-hmm. and be like, cool. And 
Oh man. But yeah, such a great memory. That is, that is amazing. Uh, I don't think I can ask any questions that improve that (laughs) more insight like that. That is a perfect little story. Wow. Let's go number three. Okay. Okay. Uh, number three, because that, that cannot be topped. Um, (laughs) but for, for me, uh, this time I'm going to go more into a specific game moment and the mechanics that led to it, because this moment, uh, just, reverberated uh so actually i'm semi-chronological now too because i just told how i ended up gaming with john and paul and shannon um so our second or third kind of major game that we played uh is this the warhammer this is the warhammer game uh, warhammer was the first kind of major game we, we had played like okay. a little troll bay before that but um warhammer ran for a year or more um, and then we kind of messed around with a, a few like one shots and stuff. And then we did a uh, burning wheel game in colonial Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> burning Boston was what we called it. Uh, nice. and so it started out, uh, with just me and John and Paul, because Shannon had some prior commitments. She wasn't gonna be able to make it for a while, which is part of why we did burning wheel because she was not interested in burning wheel. And we're like, okay, great. This is our chance to do it. Um, because in particular, John and I are huge burning wheel fans and the riddles are lukewarmish maybe uh so we we kind of got our chance to 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 push the the agenda there a little bit um Mm. but anyway the the characters that we ended up with to start with uh shannon joined the game later were um this uh son of a deceased sorcerer who has no really he doesn't really care for the protestant ethic going on there uh and he basically just wants to do sorcery and mess with people uh this is john's character and then his childhood best friend uh who is a native american who's converted to christianity and is very religious um and so they had this kind of like like, proto-inheritance game yeah no they're they're there were elements of that kind of dynamic to it. Um, and they were best friends, even though they did not see eye to eye on anything. Uh, and John and Paul were able to pull this off perfectly. And there was a little bit of a, um, a Zap Brannigan and Kiff dynamic to them, uh, because Mm -hmm. John's character was very, uh, kind of driven and he knew what he was going to do. And he had these crazy plans and magic powers and, you know, this is what we're going to do. I need you to go get me this, uh, you know, uh, uh, Yeti fur or whatever. And (laughs) Paul's character is kind of like, Oh, okay. Um, but the moment this all led to they were, you know, all around the bay and, uh, Noddle Island, which is now where, um, Logan airport is, uh, mm-hmm. was where, so we, we did a lot of Wikipedia research. So like, there's Oh yeah. The very, best thing about setting a real setting is that you can do all that kind of yeah, stuff. So there were some very light historical ties to all this stuff that, uh, like these, these were at least names that existed. Um, mm-hmm. and so the, the family that John's character was from had a house out on model Island and we, we kind of came up with, uh, up with our own history there that like that area was still mostly wild and had like pretty much just their family's cabin on it. Everybody else lived kind of more Boston proper, um, which I have no idea if that's historical. We, we really just made this stuff up. Uh, but anyway, the, they needed to, um, 
get over to the island. So Paul's character is over on the island. A storm rolls through. Uh, John's character has already made it back to the mainland. And he's Paul's character uh, is trying to start a fire. Um, and it's rain. It's pouring rain. Uh, and... Paul's character through a trait vote partway through the game had actually picked up the faith trait. So the way that faith works in Burning Wheel, and we (laughs) adapted this for a monotheistic religion, is basically um, humans can have this trait that uh, you get a score in and then you can just perform miracles. Um, And the way this trait is set, it starts at a value and then you answer some questions uh, uh, for your character and those modify Mm -hmm. the value, which is something that Burning Wheel does for, and all the Burning Wheel Lodge Cube games do, and they're, they're it's a great dynamic, and I'll explain why in a minute. But um, these questions for faith are, uh, like, who do you trust the most when uh, you're in need? Who, or, or no, who do you trust most? <laughs> who do you look to to help? And uh, I forget the third one. I actually don't have my copy of Burning Wheel handy. I, I loaned it to somebody. Um, but Paul, being very honest for his character, for each of these, the, uh, the right answer is basically God. Like, if you right. answer God, your, your faith goes up. You have more faith. You can do better miracles. Good job. Um, but Paul, being Paul and playing to his character, said for each of these answers, uh, Samuel, which is... The other character. Yeah, the other character. And so he has a really bad faith score. So he's in the rain. He's trying to start this fire. He cannot get it to start. He tries to do a miracle, and I think he never successfully had a miracle. Uh, like the entire game, the entire game, he was just really <laughs> bad. So he's sitting in there in the rain, and he's like, uh, "Okay, well, if I had a tool, would that be worth worth dice?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, that's that's how it works. You could like do a normal fire starting roll, and a tool would help you there." Uh, and he's like, "Okay, uh, so like." something that's that's dry that I could burn. I'm like, yeah, okay, but where are you going to find that? It's raining and you're on an island with, like, an abandoned house on it. Like, you're going to hike back to the house and hope something's dry? It's like, oh, no. You know how I uh, always carry my Bible? <laughs> so he's, he's sitting there in the rain burning his Bible to start his fire. Uh, and I'm like, so, so... Right after trying to start it with a miracle? Yeah, with a miracle. Uh, <laughs> and so I'm like, yeah, your, your faith trait's pretty much done, isn't it? And he's like, yeah... Um, so eventually, you know, Shannon's character joined and she decided she was going to have faith from the get go. And she actually cared about God and, uh, (laughs) managed to convert John's character at the end. So, uh, the, the entire arc of the game was basically these two characters, this like really pious, devout, converted Indian, uh, or Native American and this, uh, like amoral sorcerer. Completely swapping positions. (laughs) Um, That's awesome. But the thing that's amazing about the faith questions, which I'll unpack that into, you know, our typical game design talk. Um, Mm -hmm. The great thing is, even though those questions are so easy to kind of game to just say like, oh, well, I want a high faith. I'm going to say yes to all these. Um, Mm -hmm. You have to say things about your character to get high faith. Yeah. Like you, you, it's not like many other things in, in even Burning Wheel where you, you know, have some points to spend and you decide how much faith you want or you calculate it out of some other things or whatever. Um, the way that you get a score, either high or low, is by establishing facts about your character, which is really great character building. Like if, if you have to say something that's true in the, the world of the game uh, to establish, to even create your character to like get mechanical values out of it. Um, 
it's a great win, even if it is super easy to game. Even if, you know, to have eyes, you can just say yes to all of them and get your high score, you've still had to establish these things about your character. Uh, and then later on, if you decide not to play them that way, well, the, the GM and the other characters can or players can now be like call well, you it, yeah. well not even call you necessarily they can be like wow you've really changed like that's totally legit you don't have sure. to be bound by those like it's not a game you know we're not playing chess and if you say that you really like uh queens you get an extra one like right we don't have to care about balance in that sense um so yeah, yeah but so uh, character change is really cool in burning wheel just in general uh, but talking about talking about those questions, adding things to the game, we actually had a character. Um, they weren't planning on even being a woman, mm-hmm. and we get to the steel characters, and they're like, "If you've had a kid, increase your steel." And they're like, "I think I've had a kid," and that was the entire plot point that the whole game ran ran around. Yep. Was this one person's daughter that wouldn't even have existed except for? Hey, this is a thing you could actually change. Mm-hmm. You know, you you don't think about this. You know, there was a, well, who was it wrote that wrote that thread about uh, kids? I think it was Paul Beakley on G Plus who wrote this big thread around. You should really be thinking about just generally children in your fantasy world, and if you're going to exclude them, do so purposely, and that's fine. And if you're going to include them, remember that they will be everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's really easy to forget that that's even an option. And so seeing it show up in steel at all completely changed the way that this game was going to go. Oh yeah. And I think that those faith questions are kind of a similar thing and the same kind of thing with uh, the rest of the steel questions really have, you know, have you, have you been seriously wounded? It's like we had, we had a long discussion over a lot of those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like it's, it's great that they, even if you, uh, try to kind of game the system and just say, like, I want the highest score possible. Yes, of course. Like, you've established interesting things. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I have a game in in perpetual development that has uh, Apocalypse World-style moves, but they're printed um, on cards, and it uh, each move has a a normal version, and then you flip it over for, like, a wounded version. Basically, you you get worse. Uh, your, your hit points are kind of your cards, and you flip them over, and they change your behavior. Um, and, mm-hmm. and not even always for the worse. Some people find out that they're better under pressure. But um, part of the character creation there, uh, you get asked if your character has been in certain kinds of situations, and if you have, you already know how you behave when your card is flipped. So you get to look at the other side. Otherwise, you start the game not knowing how you are, uh, you know, under pressure, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's just like this. Like, even if you want kind of the mechanical advantage of knowing what your flip side is on all these, uh, you have to establish something interesting. And then the GM can ask you questions about, like, oh, wait, so you have been seriously wounded? Because I totally stole, stole the seriously wounded question, of course, from, from sure. Steel. Um, but, yeah, like, it leads to interesting discussions and interesting characters and uh, it, it doesn't really matter if you get the benefit or not, um, mm. but the benefit makes the question matter. Like if yeah. you just asked every every player, has your character been seriously wounded and just kind of like nodded interestingly at their answer, um, mm. it would be really easy to skip. You wouldn't really need to do it. But by tying that into game systems, like you, you've established that key loop of RPGs of fiction and rules intertwining. Um, I think I, I think important. on the flip side, I think on the flip side of that, 
you also have the idea that because it is so easy outside the game to just say whatever gets you the mechanical benefit, when you choose to say the other thing, that's just way more important immediately. Like I am sacrificing, you know, several dice here mm -hmm. by saying that that was not me. I no, I did not live in squalor for the past year. No, I am doing okay. Or I did because something is horribly wrong with me and I'm going to lose those points or I'm, I know I've never been injured. I've lived in a, I've lived a very nice life in general. Like saying, I know I'm going to give up, give up some of those dice. I'm not going to take this path. I'm going to do this, this kind of saying, giving a statement, a particular statement because it's going to have a cost, right? Yeah. Um, it gives all those things weight. I mean, it's, um, you know, we've, we've kind of covered a lot of chronological stuff in a lot of my early games. I kind of talked about those like major multi-campaign arc things. Um, mm -hmm. when I would actually get a chance to play around that period, I would come up with like these detailed backstories, although I was encouraging my players to like basically yeah, write, write short stories. Page. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And because those didn't really matter to anything, I mean, sometimes they were fun. Like they, they, they didn't, they weren't a problem. But there was also kind of no reason to do them, and there was no weight mm -hmm. to them. You know, even if you wrote about being the the last prince of the realm, I'm still going to make you make a first level character because that's what I said to do. Like right. it, it, yeah. I love those moments that reinforce the idea that fiction matters, um, mm -hmm. and that's totally what those kinds of questions do, and uh, they lead to your devout devout, uh, faithful convert, uh, burning their Bible to start a fire. Um, yeah. So yeah, that is, that is one of my cher most cherished gaming memories. Uh, and it's interesting because, um, John does some Twitch streaming and, uh, he and I have both talked about this to, to folks like Adam Koble and Eric, uh, Eric, I guess I'll go by Eric Bulgaris. Uh, like we, th this game has, a little following almost. Uh, I randomly stumbled across a Twitter discussion between like Adam and Eric and John about the burning Boston game. And I was like, Oh, only one of you is actually even in that game. Um, yeah. So that, that game definitely cherished. Uh, and again, partially for the people, but, um, also for, for that kind of brilliant mechanical moment, uh, that, that tied together both personal drama and, and the system of the game. Yeah, system matters again. Right exactly, there. yeah. So what's your third? So uh, I'm going to tell you the story of how I met Ken uh -huh. uh, and how one of his roommates uh, made a cave so sad that it collapsed, um, uh, which is in a crazy game of Dungeon World. So uh, I'm going to this church thing, uh, and we're just going to hang out. And somebody said, oh, yeah, you know, you should, you should talk to Ken. He's the, he's the youth pastor, so you'll have to deal with him when, when B gets older. And, you know, he games. And I'm like, oh, great, cool. And so we do the same kind of thing that you did about, oh, well, what kind of, what kind of games do you play? And Ken's like, oh, you know, I play, play, you know, board games and computer games and stuff. And I'm like, oh, what board games do you play? And he's like, well, you know, these things. And I'm like, oh, well, we should play games. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I think I probably stole an hour or two of his time that he was supposed to be doing actual work at that, at that thing. 
And we now play games just a lot. Uh, and so Ken, for his birthday, he knew that I played role-playing games and he had never really played a role-playing game. Uh, and he was like, okay, we should, would you run one? Like how much, how much work would that be? And I'm like, oh yeah, I mean, you give me food. I'll run a game as long as you want me to run it. And he's like, okay, okay. How many people would we need? And I'm like, well, you know, probably three to five. It'd be great. I can, I could do five. He goes, okay. Uh, what else do you need? And I'm like, just show up and make stuff up and it'll be fine. So I show up the day of, I have custom character playbooks for everybody that's going to be there. Um, doing the, uh, I did the class warfare, Mm -hmm. the Johnstone, the, the Metzger, the great Metzger book. Uh, and I took everything I knew about all of these people and just packed them into these playbooks with, a couple of choices that I wasn't completely sure about. And one of the people uh, was the musician at the church. And I was like, cool, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make the bard that I want to play kind of the elven song, magic burning wheel style Mm -hmm. uh, person. But I'm, you know, I don't know exactly how they want to express this kind of thing. So I said, you know, whatever you end up wanting to do. And she goes, well, I want to be able to make artifacts in play. And I'm like, sure, whatever. Cool. That sounds great. We're going to play one session. I don't have to worry about the repercussions of any of this. And I want it to be completely insane and epic because those are great games. So somewhere in the middle of this game, uh, she gets a hold of like a troll arm or some, some monster part. And I'm like, Oh man. So she, she goes, okay, I'm going to put this thing in my bag. And I'm like, you're, what are, you, what are you doing? And nobody else at the table has any idea what's going on. And so we keep walking down. And she's like, okay, while we're resting, can I, can I make this into a thing? And I'm like, sure. I'm going to make it into a loot. I'm like, oh, I mean, okay, sure. Uh, what do you want your loot to do? Because that was the move, was when you spend some time, you can kind of bake ritual in. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, I want to be able to make people feel things. Very, very musician thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, this is ritual, high-level, magical, make people feel things. So they're running through this, this cave to get to their destination, and just a whole bunch of monsters show up. Uh, and she goes, and you know, they're trying to deal with the monsters. They're trying to get through the cave. They just want to make it through and, and not die. And she goes, How, what can I make sad and happy with this thing? I'm like, well, you know, tell me something, and I'll tell you if it if I think it's cool or not. And she goes, I want to make the whole mountain sad. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, that sounds amazing. So she rolls and she rolls a 12 and I'm like, Oh yeah, we're going to make this mountain sad and just brings it down. Nice. It's like the, the idea of custom playbooks. I, I wouldn't want to do them all the time because of the amount of work. And I wouldn't want to give them to a player for I'm going to miss all of the decisions that they're making. So I don't get to see all of the cool story pieces there. And I wouldn't want to say, here is the, uh, you know, all of the possible ways to make stuff go because that's the least interesting part of character creation. Mm-hmm. But there's one particular time where I'm like, sure, you've got amazing bardic kind of powers. And she's like, I'm going to make, I'm going to make the gelatinous cube sad. I'm going to make, I'm going to make that guy sad so he drops what he's holding. Like these weird, weird moments out of nowhere 
uh, totally made that game for me. That is um, awesome. Oh yeah. So yeah, the <laughs> one of my favorite one of my favorite Dungeon World games. Uh, like all every time I play Dungeon World with relatively new people is you know any kind of game with new people really is the best type of thing anywhere. But Dungeon World is particularly great because it says you are allowed to do crazy things. Just look at these playbooks and you don't have to learn very much to actually play, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, yeah. The, there, there was a game with uh, John Harper running dungeon world for um, the misclicks uh, and, um, or the double clicks. Jeez. Um, and uh, they got the cleric playbook and were like, oh, okay, so like, my my god can can be kind of whatever, and it's like yeah okay. <laughs> uh, then it was Santa Claus, uh, oh, man. yeah. But it was like crazy, like antlered, mistletoe hung Santa Claus, uh, like a frightening Santa Claus. Yeah. Anyway, great stuff. And yeah, um, troll I'm, players are great too. Like I think I think that's I I used to be very sad about having troll players in general. I'm like, like, wouldn't wouldn't you just can't you just play the game? This is this is the game. We, like we all know the tone. You're just supposed to play the game. Come on, guys. Uh, but I I think I've gotten to the point where, oh yeah, you you think that's trolly? Let me let me turn that knob up to eleven and push it just a little further than even you thought I would push it. Let's see how crazy we can take this thing. Yeah, like uh, I don't think. I even think of that as trolling. Like trolling players to me, like there, there's a line there that I I do not like to to cross. Like that I think is, is like disrespectful to people and stuff. But the um, the people who want to to have like uh, a humor to the game, like mm-hmm. the that, that's humor that we as the players see. Like I'm I'm kind of okay with that these days. Like uh, it, yeah. Uh, and especially with Dungeon World, I actually feel like um, that's probably something that I would push more with Dungeon World if I was revisiting it, like in the, just the presentation of the game. Like it only has to be like a rules thing, but, um, and we already have that in there. Like they're, the the pop culture references and stuff mm-hmm. in the, the game, I think sell that kind of um, angle to it. Uh, and when people... I think that's- I think that's what makes me so comfortable. I think that's what makes me so comfortable uh, allowing people to go a little further tonally than I normally like. Yeah. Like the combination of things like uh, nameless, which make me feel a lot better about what people are going to be called in this game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the random metal hurlant in Bard, which is like, look, this game is not you don't have to feel like you're in the 1700s to play this game. You don't have to cosplay or anything. You can you can do whatever. You're hanging out. You're going to have a good time. Yep. And don't worry about it. And I used to be much more, oh, why are you naming your character that? That name wasn't even a big thing until, you know, 50 years after this session or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, like, I can loosen up a little bit more. Actually, you, you just sold me on an explanation that I've never had before for why they're nameless in Dungeon World, but like the namelists um, are totally similar enough to, mm-hmm. to ground the game because that, that is one area that I think jokes don't do as well. And like that kind of humor, like if you're, if your names go too far that way, it's hard to keep things going because that, if that joke gets stale, you're, you're kind of stuck with it. 
Oh um, man, yeah, I thought I thought that was the entire point. Like the the I feel like that's the point of nameless in, in Apocalypse World too, is look, these people are named crazy shit and we're just go with it. Like pick pick at random, drop your pen down, and now you've got Tam Tam or whatever, and it's like good luck. Figure out figure out why that makes sense. I mean, yeah, the the angle that I hadn't thought of it before is that that enables you to take more risks in other in other. Oh marks. yeah, totally. Like that that getting everybody <clears throat> on the same page is sure like a kind of clear thing about it. But you know, maybe is that really that important? People could be on the same page already. But by doing that, it grounds the part of the game that kind of needs to be grounded. Mm-hmm. Um, because I do think that it's still a game that that works best when. Uh, we as the players may be kind of like laughing at stuff, but not so much the characters. Um, yeah. Like if you're you're doing jokey stuff or or doing stuff specifically for a joke, I think it it works less well. But if you um, like, I uh, we made a very deliberate decision that instead of uh, trying to isolate ourselves from kind of like the the pop culture notions of what a role playing game is and and. Mm-hmm. Um, the pop culture cesspool in general, we were going to embrace it uh, because, it, you know, it's it's too easy to, or in a lot of games, it's actually a good idea to kind of wall off that pop culture cesspool and say, like, no, this is this is what this game is. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dungeon World really tries to, to just, like, jump into that pool and swim in it. Um, and I, that, to me, is still one of the most endearing elements of it. Uh, yeah, I think I think that, you know, I mean, look at look at Paranoia for example, right? Mm-hmm. Paranoia goes pretty far off the wacky end of the spectrum, but it still has a ton of grounding that says, here's how you can get everybody to be in the same place before we take it off the rails, right? Yeah. We, we know that this is kind of a pseudo-communist protecting uh, system, and we know that here are how these ranks work so that we can all make jokes about it. And we know that this is how these things work and what the culture is kind of like. We know a ton about the baseline of the system, even though like most of the point of that game is to screw around. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you still have to have the baseline because if you're just wacky, it's only funny for a moment. Yeah. Well, okay. I think we've covered a lot of cherished memories. Yeah. We're, we're, we're a little long and I was super okay with that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we cherish these things for a reason and, and, I'm curious to see how this will all turn out. Um, I've greatly enjoyed listening to your stories, but I was a little nervous going into it that, you know, we're basically doing a, a tell me oh, about yeah, this your character is, episode. This kinda. is super tell me about your character. I would, I want to hear from, from people that are, that listen to the show about their similar moments. Cause I hope that this is not just Sage and I who have the best friends ever. Uh, I mean, we do. Including each other, but um, yeah, actually, uh, when when this releases, maybe I'll I'll start up a uh, Twitter or Mastodon hashtag of uh, cherished gaming memories or something. Camp uh, campfire stories. Yeah, yeah. For dice camp. Oh man. Okay. Well, I okay. think I think that's it for our thirtieth question. Then, what are your most cherished gaming moments? Thirty questions. Wow. Yeah, we're old. Another question is Adam Blinkensop and Sage Latora. You can find us on Twitter at AQ Podcast or by searching for another question on Google Plus or Facebook. Our website, anotherquestion.com, has all our old episodes plus links to all the games we mention in each episode and other bonus material. If you'd like to support us, you can send us a question, leave us a review on iTunes, or share this episode. Thanks.